Hello, welcome to the Punk Rock Academy podcast with John and Dave. Uh, I'll let you ask me how I'm doing first, John. I don't care, Dave. Oh. <laughs> I don't care. Um, Charming. We're doing a podcast together. No one wants to hear from us. Um, let's just get on with it, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> John, John, how, how are you, mate? Thanks, you, seem, you seem a bit angry, I just heard. No, 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 not at all. I'm fine. Very well, actually. Yeah, th- thanks for asking. It means a lot. Cheers. It's because I care. It's because I care, mate. I know you do. Um, I'm still not going to ask how you are because... You know what? I'm always fine, so it's fine. Um, so, John, um, today we are t- we're talking to Kerim from The Foamers and... Um, I discovered them, well, I didn't discover them, but I first, um, they, they first got my attention back when I saw them perform with Leftover Crack in London quite a few years ago now. And you know, I love their rugged London accent. And um, it got me thinking about bands who we love when we discovered them you know, at live shows, when we went to see you know, the main act. So I just want to ask you, like, who, who, who would the band you know, come to mind when thinking about fresh new bands who you've just discovered from a, from a live performance? I think the one that springs to mind that maybe shocked me the most because I'd never heard of them. Um, there's bands that you kind of hear about and then you see them and, and obviously they're great. And um, there's obviously been loads of bands that I've never heard of and, and ended up being great. But the one that stuck out the most was when Heroic Doses won a tour in Ireland, I think our last tour in Ireland. And um, we sort of ended up touring with this band called PRF who were a kind of garage hardcore band from Portland, Oregon. Um, I'd never heard of them. I don't even think I really knew that we were even touring with them. I don't think we, we were officially touring with them. We just ended up playing lots and lots of shows together. Um, and the first time they played, they just absolutely blew me away. Um, and we played with them, I don't know, a few more times that tour. Um, and every night they were just incredible. Uh, and I picked up the CD. I think it was just some sort of burnt CD demo um, and never really heard from them again. So they were kind of in and out of my life, but it was a beautiful relationship while they lasted. Um, and it was brilliant because they were just, it, it, it was a shock how good this band were. Uh, and when I think also when you're playing with a band like that, that's, that, that, that is that good, um, it makes you up your game a bit as well. So they had a bit of an impact in that respect too. Um, what about you? So you discovered the Foamers. What about another band? Yeah, so you've got the Foamers, got like a pot shot, um, a Japanese band called Page of Punk. But one of the ones I'm going to go with is another household name band, and that's Lightyear. Um, I saw them, at, I think it was like a, an all day, a household name all day. I think it came quite, um, quite a lot back in the day. And you know, Lightyear were new, refreshing, cheeky, funny, engaging, and they had their, they left everything on stage, but their personality and they're one of the bands who you'd want to sing along all the lyrics to. If you no, know, even if you didn't know the lyrics, you'd, you'd try and attempt to at least sing along. Um, and they were just they're just hilarious to, to be around, just cracking jokes. And if anything, they're brave because obviously I was probably nineteen, maybe twenty uh, when they were first on the scene, and they were like people you wanted to be like, but not as brave. Uh, to, <laughs> or, or, or always talented um so yeah like you are always a, a funny band and one i'm glad that actually i went to that day all day because you know although those like festivals like you know, ten a penny um i'm glad i actually went to that one because that's what i've discovered like you amazing and can i just second 
Page of Punk from Japan. Those guys were incredible. Um, we put them on and yeah, I mean, you don't know what you're going to expect, but they were just absolutely mind-blowingly good. Um, and um, Dave, I feel bad. How are you? Oh, thank you, John. Oh, I'm actually I'm feeling better now. Thank you. Yes, that's, that's, that's cheering you up. And that's, good, that's left me in a good mood to go and talk to Kerem now. What do you reckon? Let's do that. Good. Love you. How are we doing? Hey, uh, how are you keeping? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Just finishing up a big deliverable for work. So it's just knackered at the moment. But And you, and you work in design, is that right? Yeah, I'm a graphic designer. So I'm working on um, video games at the moment. Oh, brilliant. Any, anything in particular or is it top secret? It's... it's Top secret, but the last game I worked on was uh, Battletoads for Xbox. Amazing. What's the difference between the world of punk rock and designing video games? <laughs> or what are the similarities? Uh, similarities? Uh, it's a lot of uh, breakneck speed, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of fast changes. Uh, yeah, but thank you for joining us. Uh, Paul was saying that you don't normally do interviews. Well, I mean, it's, it's rare to be asked. The last time I got interviewed was. At the Astoria 2 I think we played there with, wow that's a long time ago yeah then. man it was like that was back in like 2003 four, like so just before the album because it's like when we released our album it's like kind of we split up pretty much you know a few months after that so there was no uh, there was no hype train there's no hype train back then anyway you know like, but uh, it's been a, it's been a while so going back to your album obviously the first time I come you know, come across famous was so your debut album, Six Point None the Wire, which is on Ten City Records. I absolutely love that album. I don't know what you laugh for. It's absolutely, absolutely brilliant album. I remember uh, moving to Brighton in two thousand one, and that song was uh, that album was actually you know on my playlist all the time. And uh, but how how did that deal come about with like Ten City? Was he then being from New York and such? Carlos, our, uh, our our lead guitarist, uh, my, and my cousin. He's he's just one of those people who knows everyone speaks to everyone finds out everything uh, john knows this like uh, i've met him at the uh, the fight cox uh, he's he's just like really amiable and he's, he he loves speaking to people like he's he's still in contact with like quite a lot of the, the bands and band members and label people and stuff like that that we've worked with or met over the years um but i think he just got chatting to squirt like i, I can't remember how they got they got to talking and Carlos was like oh i'm in a band here's my demo we recorded it in like one day in a some it was some converted toilets over in uh, in Epsom. It used to be a, a youth centre and it had sort of like an outbuilding that was uh, the the gents' toilets and the, and the shower room and they converted it and like um, yeah. I mean it's it's a it's a suitable place for us to record our first demo in a, in a toilet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he just sent it over to him and Squirt was just like yeah, sounds cool. And I, I think Carl's got in contact with him because of choking victim and he was like you know he was after some like the squatters paradise or something on like vinyl or knowing carlos is like he loves collecting records and things um and yeah it just it just sort of blossomed through that and before we knew it it was just like oh uh, we're gonna go to the states and do this record uh tom our bass player was at the time doing a uh, music engineering degree at kingston university so we showed it to their the course head or the, the course like lawyer or something and he just looked, looked at the contract and went oh, I wouldn't sign that ever like we was like wicked signed it off we went <laughs> uh, <laughs> what did the contract look like oh it, I mean it was like 20 pages of stuff that we just didn't understand so it's like 
who cares? Like we're going to go to New York and record an album with Squirt from Joking Victims. It was it was basically all we all we heard. Uh, so yeah, we 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 got on a plane with, with our guitar <laughs> and uh, landed in, in in the states. Yeah, just one of Squirt's mates picked us up. Uh, a guy called Matt, like really nice guy in this like really cool van. He asked us where we were staying. We told him Squirt's place over in. Uh, somewhere like in the, in the deepest, darkest end of Brooklyn, he was we're like, you are not staying there. Like you just come and stay with me. So this guy we'd never met, four people he'd never met, just stayed in his flat. He had these two huge um, like pit bull terriers uh, and they were the most affectionate dogs, but they were like massive. They just leap at you and like give you cuddles and like just sent like lucky for six. But yeah, just, it was a bit of a blur to be honest. We, much like most of our stuff, we went out there, we did a lot of drinking and then we were just like, oh yeah, we've got records and stuff. And we ended up recording in this guy's flat in New York and a New York flat is, you know, completely true what they're saying. It's like the smallest, tiniest apartment. He had most of his living room was taken up with a mixing desk and he had a bed like just jammed under the window and like two seats and that was his entire apartment. Um, and yeah, it was just a, it, <laughs> it was just a, a classic Foma's whirlwind mess. Like we went in, caused some carnage. Everything was a bit, budget and a bit on the cheap side and a bit <laughs> rough around the edges but we had such a laugh doing it it kind of came out it came out sort of a bit like that really like it was um yeah you know, rough around the edges but i think <laughs> that, that energy and um and kind of love came through if you like it was um i mean obviously as dave dave paid testament to it was a well received piece of work and obviously did the job didn't it did you guys play any gigs when you were out there we we were meant to play a couple of out there, so I, I I don't know whether this was true or not. We we were supposed to play CBGBs, but it was it was shut down that week or the, like for the for, for that month or something for for some reason or other. I don't know if that was the final shutdown. I can't I, I honestly can't remember. But uh, we were supposed to play this block party as well in Brooklyn, and we turned up and it was just rad. There were just like bands and punks everywhere and just like people boozing. And then like by the time the first second band had finished playing the cops came and just broke it up and it's like oh come on it was just, it was just so cool it was like this just festival in the middle of the street like with just people just were like we're going to do it and they just did it and it, it was really really cool it was, just, it was a bit heartbreaking to not actually get to play but like just standing in the middle of the road and you've just got this band like just playing in your face it's like super cool it's <laughs> amazing that is brilliant what a shame i guess um well, let's not look back on regrets, I guess, right? Yeah. It's probably better things, better things to focus on over the years, right? Because you got yeah. back, and, and what was the what was the reaction back home at the time? Like, what what were you guys doing? Like, what was the sort of um, level of the band at that point? Like, had people kind of picked up on it? Were you getting regular gigs back back at home? We we started getting quite a lot of gigs. So again, like Carlos, pure catalyst for this. He just spoke to everyone in every venue and every band. And we, you know, we ended up getting shows here and there whether it was just like little small local stuff playing at my brother's birthday party like whatever we could do we 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 did like and uh yeah it's just it's been a bit of a weird one for us because it's like it's it's gone a bit back to front because the more we played the fewer people like got to know us and then like we just left it for 10 years and 15 years and then people were like oh we loved your band and we, we play a show and <laughs> we have like, 150 people there it's like all right cool uh maybe it's just that that weight yeah but it was yeah, it was a, a bit of a, a stranger because we got reviewing i think fracture was the big scene big zine at the time wasn't it mm-hmm. and we got a really nice review in fracture and they basically said what you just said it was just like you know rough around the edges it's a laugh the album's you know fun and you know it's, it's got it's it's bits that i'm a bit like 
<laughs> yikes did I really do that but um yeah I, all in all it was it was just fun and it, it the fun parts really show people warm to it people really like you know six points and otherwise that we've played it I think every show since we since we wrote it it's a yeah. good song <laughs> you, you got your arms around your mates all singing along with us crowd so yeah well that, I mean that song I, I mean like like most of them on that album so we were rehearsing at the Peel in Kingston, which used to have the rehearsal studios downstairs, and now is just flats, isn't it? Um, and we were the four of us. So we had the original drummer Chris, and then Carlos and Tom went over the road to order some pizzas and get, get us some food. And they were like, "You better have a song written by the time we get back." And we we're like, "All right." And we literally wrote that song in the fifteen minutes, twenty minutes it took them to get the pizza and <laughs> come back. And they were like, "They were like, come on, let's hear it." And then Chris and I, like, we just. I had the guitar, Chris was helping me out with the lyrics, and we're just like, there, it's done. We're like, let's do this now, let's do this now. It's just like, no no thinking about it. We just, it just happened. It was, <laughs> and all, all those great songs that spent hours and hours agonizing over, no one, no one ever cared about. Well, it. yeah, I mean, it out. this is a, this is a, this is the case now. Like, there's, a, there's a, a huge, huge case of overthinking things now. So, like, the, the stuff that we were back in the studio last January. So, just got everything together we were set to go back and then obviously uh covid hit and everything started getting shut down but yeah there's a there's a there's a lot of cases that they were like you know there were nights and nights and nights of honing crafting going now and now we need to have a bit that breaks down and now we need to do this and now we need to have a quiet bit and a loud bit and then, like we're like really just trying to use like the 20 years of music knowledge i've gained since then to be like actually like i want to think about stuff and i want to record something like epic because it's you know it's it's been a long time since we're in the studio, so I wanted to wanted to make it fun, but we also threw in a classic three chord trick in there, um, but with a with a bit of a bit of a twist. Like like you know, weren't expecting this, and we just like, drop a big who breakdown in the middle of it and stuff like. That. <laughs> so it's just like <laughs> and then and then and then the pandemic hit, and uh, all the ideas you probably had about playing it and getting it out of there probably fell fell to one side well we got we got to play a few of them live so while like when we were like 90 percent done with it like usually i the lyrics are the last thing to to come so that a lot of shows i was going and then singing like one or two words and just you know trying to trying to pretend i, I knew something but we played a few shows with uh leftover crack just on when they did their their last tour in, in the UK and but yeah, we got quite quite a lot of really positive feedback um like just walking through and people were like oh yeah love that that song you played with that and the breakdown you did there and it's just you know I knew which songs they were referencing because it wasn't like they it wasn't this the one that you go oi hey it was, <laughs> it was slightly more complicated ones so that was good and yeah it just so we did get to play them live quite a few times but uh, yeah, it's nice to, to gauge the response. They are your typical foamy songs, and they're not. Like, I'm trying to mix in like influences, everything from like sort of classic punk snuff, three chord punk rancid, and then a bit of XTC, and then we've got some Sabbath stuff in there, and like some bluesy breakdowns, and a bit of you know, like clashy stuff. So like a bit more like the um, the vibe we did on uh, football, and yeah, things like that. So. Yeah, it's it's got a bit of everything that we've ever done and more. <laughs> Just so, so can't wait to finish it. <laughs> when when will we get to? Do you know when we'll get the chance to listen to it? Well, 
Yeah, we got like we we haven't got the vocals recorded. That's the thing. Like we got everything down, and then we were going to go back and do the vocals and the uh, final overdubs, the mixing. But we've got pretty much the instrumental rough mixes of everything. It just it, it sounds so it, it sounds so fat. It just sounds like massive. Like we've never had anything sound that good because it's usually been done super quickly somewhere <laughs> in a rush. We're trying to make it up on the spot. <laughs> so no no pressure. High pressure, high pressure. <laughs> so listen, Kerem, you talk uh, a lot about the, some of those influences that are coming in with the new stuff, uh, getting away from the sort of um, standard three-chord punk sound. What was, um, let's go back even further. You mentioned bands like Sabbath, XTC, The Clash. Before that, what, um, what was it like? What was, what was the music playing when you were growing up? What was the sort of stuff that was on the in the household in the car what was playing the most uh household like my my mum's my always a big fan of like country and western tom jones so they'd always we'd always be in the car they'd be like dolly parton and uh you know all these like classic um country and western songs and stuff in, in there and it's like not saying she's like like my mum's spanish so there was also a lot of like spanish music my dad's turkish cypriot so he'd listen to a lot of turkish music in the car so we're like we'd, it was just a, a big mix and i just always remember like singing along and we'd make mixtapes, we'd drive through France to visit my mum's family in Spain and we'd make tapes and we'd listen to them and we'd all sing along. So like my mum's got a really good voice, my dad's a crazy good dancer and stuff. So and my older brother's a really, really good singer as well. And uh so we you would just sort of like sing along and then when I got to about I think about nine nine, ten, my uncle was the cool uncle with the, my mum's brother with the the long hair and the motorbike and the leather jacket. And he he'd play me like a bit of a bit of Bon Jovi or a bit of like you know, Brian Adams, a bit like a bit of AOR and stuff. I'd be like, oh, I quite like the guitars. Guitars are quite good. And then he gave me his leather jacket and I think uh yeah, I think about about eleven eleven years old, twelve years old, he gave me his leather jacket and I just remember like being like, That's it, I'm a, I'm a metaler now. And I got my <laughs> I got my nan to take me to El Corte Inglés, which is like a huge department store. And I remember buying number of the beast. ACDC fly on the wall and shout at the devil with my nan and she was like those are the ones you want they're the ones you'll get and I'm just sitting in my auntie's bedroom like just done that's like that's it this is me now. <laughs> and that's when you were 11 uh yeah that's what I was I and mean, it's just like and it's just it's, it's wavered like it's, metal's always been there it kind of kind of went off it a bit sort of when the grunge explosion happened because like Bruce Dickinson had left Iron Maiden I was like that's that's metal over that's done I'm not, <laughs> I'm not interested anymore um but yeah it's just obviously like loads of the grunge bands were amazing like Pearl Jam, Nirvana, uh Soundgarden, Mudhoney, all that stuff came in and then it just kind of new worlds of music started opening up from there and started looking back at influences and started going back and listening to older music rather than like only wanting to listen to Metallica like I only want to listen to Metallica I don't listen to anything else and it's like you just like, get into that age where you start looking around and then got into a band with some older people and they were more into like indie stuff uh, listening to like blur like cardigans i absolutely loved as well uh still do uh just it, yeah just everything's like coming in like uh, one of the our guitarists was a really great uh like blues guitarist so he played me like loads of uh, john mayle and the blues breakers and uh, eric clapton and just just yeah just everything started spiraling out and i'd start listening to a, a whole load of other stuff so and and that kind of was really exciting especially around the time where you know like line wire and naps that started coming you could just like 
oh, I listen to everything. Like, you would just start listening to everything. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, very long answer to a very simple question. You know, like, influences have always been predominantly, like, metal and, metal and punk. And as, as the punk started coming in, I, I did that thing as well. Like, I've, I've, I've laser-focused on the sort of skate punk stuff. And then sort of about... 10, 15 years ago, then I started like work doubling back and looking at everything else. And I go, all oh, right, there's loads of like awesome stuff. But it's like, I can't, like, I had a tendency to like just drill down into something and be a bit blinkered and then be like, lift my head up <laughs> and then realize there's like that whole world that preceded it. So, yeah, it's. I mean, I love that. I love the fact that there's like sort of a mix of Dolly Parton, Spanish, <laughs> and sort of Cypriot folk music. <laughs> You can definitely hear in the phones, can't you? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, that that cuts through pretty pretty <laughs> easy. Um, what's uh, what what was that? So, what was your first sort of punk punk moment? Then, I mean, obviously Nirvana and, and the grunge stuff. But what was that first sort of? Um, I guess sort of the, the punk scene that we know and love from that nineties. What, what when do you remember that sort of first moment you heard it, or, or it was I, sort of you? I, I I think I'm pretty sure it was. Green Day at the MTV Awards. I was just like, I was, I was a bit disillusioned in that. Well. And I remember seeing that and being like, well, this is pretty fucking rad, isn't it? It's like, this is something new. This is fun. It, it, it was. It was just like, it was such a sort of gear shift from grunge being that a bit like sort of mid tempo y and a bit down. It's just like, wow, these guys are just like going for it. And I'm just like, I, I absolutely fell in love at that point. And then that just that everything exploded from the, you know that, that whole green day moment didn't it and it's i know that sounds really fucking lame to say it that, <laughs> that was that was the turning point but i, it, I think it, that's for a lot of people of our age <laughs> yeah it just it was it was great it's like there's those pivotal moments in like pretty much all the genres of music you listen to and stuff that it opens up that whole new world of, of music to you doesn't it and it's like I said, and were like, you um were you playing? So you said you were playing with some other guys and, and playing with different influences, like some indie stuff that's come through, and obviously the metal stuff that you loved. When you heard Green Day, was that a kind of uh, a spiritual moment in your playing as well? Was that just like great? I don't have to fart around with you know the fretboard too much. I can just sort. Well, of... I I was all, I I was always a, a drummer to start with, uh, so I, I used to drum in in other bands, and um, I ended up teaching myself guitar. Well, Carlos would teach me a bit here and there because you sat around a mate's house, you're having a drink and there's no drum kit there. So you're like, oh, there's a guitar in the corner. And then, you know, you learn your Green Day or your No Effects or your, whatever you're rancid with one finger on the string and then you learn the power chord and then you learn, you know, an open chord. It's like, oh, cool. I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a guitar wizard. But <laughs> Carlos was always a guitarist. Like he was always incredible at soloing and stuff. And we were listening to him playing along to Santana and he was like 12 and doing like these are just ridiculous solos and just listening outside his door before you know um so i never when we when he uh, and chris our original drummer decided to start the band like phobers uh they uh asked me to join and i was going to play bass and like because they already had a, a drummer and a guitarist and then i ended up moving to guitar and i was like well carlin's already good at guitar so i don't need to get good so I never really had. So <laughs> I have spent the last year trying to teach myself how to play guitar properly and with some degree of success. So I, I did a, a, that free Fender course they were giving away and I, I went really back to basics. It's like, this is an E string, this is an A string, this is how you hold the guitar. It's like, I know these, these bits, but I, like, I really went back to basics. 
trying to undo some of those bad habits, trying to learn how to solo, uh, which has been fun. Uh, so now I just pick up a guitar and I can noodle rather than sit in the game. You see some dual, some dual <laughs> yeah. solos coming up yeah. and then you find the stuff then. Well, like. yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's always been hints of that uh, in, our, in our live playing more, more than the recorded stuff where we we realised that, oh, that would sound cool with a dual guitar lead, but uh, it's just like uh, Take It Back on the on the second album that had quite a lot of twin guitar on that. Uh, but yeah, with the, the whole Maiden thing, uh, I've always been a Maiden fan that's been dying to do it. <laughs> so obviously you've been in front of us you know, on and off and off for quite a, quite a while now. Do you have any uh, iconic moments of you know, your life on the road uh, where it's like, no, just... Brilliant performances from other bands, uh, you know, nightmare horror stories. The nightmare horror stories are usually when when we were playing, but <laughs> <laughs> we we when we did our first tour, I think with Leftover Crack, we ended up playing with the Dead Kennedys in Leeds, at Leeds Uni, uh, and in the van on the way there, uh, we they, they, I think Sturgeon and Ezra were in the van. They're like, we are gonna take the mic because they haven't got the original singer. They haven't got, they haven't got Jello. So what we're going to do is I'm going to go on the stage in Sturgeon's clothes and hat, or his coat and hat. You sing the first two songs. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to hoof you off stage. And then Carlos is going to come in and sing the next two songs. And then Ezra did the whole intro part. I can't remember which album, but it's basically talking about corporate rock and like doing stuff money. he knew that the, it's dead kenny's one he knew it word for word and he did that and then sturgeon was playing guitar and then he dropped the guitar and started doing the, the rest of the set so it's like we played two bands before <laughs> so I, don't, I don't know who they were trying to convince but like we played first to a crowd that were 50 feet away and then we're going on with leftover crack and i was basically karaoke and leftover crack and like the crowd was just going mental or something so not not for me but they had a like the Dead Kennedys had a huge like row with leftover crack after that. Just like they were just like, how fucking dare you? <laughs> and they were just like, Do you know what? You know, piss off you. And I, I was just that was pretty funny. Um, yeah, lots of ridiculous drunken nights on tour. I remember we played in Thursk or near Thursk, and we ended up back at the guys from Boss Eye's house. And they were leftover crack and not leftover crack. Captain Everything and Adequate Seven, and they all like a lot of them disappeared for what seemed like two or three hours, and they all, <laughs> all came back, and they were just covered in makeup. <laughs> so what they'd done is gone to the twenty-four hour Tesco down the road, and they'd, <laughs> they'd been sneaking around putting makeup on, so they want trying not to get caught by the guards, and it's just like the weirdest, most surreal thing. So they just had to spend the rest of the evening. They just had like really poorly applied like mascara, lipstick, <laughs> and eyeliner, and eyeshadow, and just like. Yeah, they're, they're a funny bunch of guys. But this, uh, was that the, happened. I guess that was the household name tours? You did a couple of those, is that right? Yeah, we did a, a few of them. So usually us, uh, Captain of Finn, Adequate Seven, Skywalkers. Uh, yeah, and then sort of guest appearances from other bands like Freaks Union. Who, much love for them. <laughs> what are your sort of memories of that, of that early 2000s scene then? Because... Um, Obviously, you had the household name thing that you guys were a part of, and bands like Capdown and, and Filaments that were a big part of that um, sort of more sort of ska and sort of traditionally punk rock stuff. And then you had 
some of the other stuff was a bit more pop punky and then obviously a lot of stuff especially around kingston where you guys are from that was a bit more uh i guess sort of like maybe emo hardcore stuff like that like how good was it um first of all and and do you think there was enough of an overlap and a kind of unity in the scene or was it quite separate in your opinion as 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 the foam is like what, what was the reaction from other people who were very much into one and not the other maybe um i don't know i, I never felt that there was separations between stuff as like we we tended to play with anyone and any anyone who'd, who'd have us and it's for better or for worse you know sometimes you just you, just, you go down like a, a lead balloon on in the middle of a set where it's uh it's, it's all hardcore bands like we supported dri once i don't know how the hell we managed that but like we're completely not suited to supporting DRI, but we, we managed to do it i don't know yes we've got lots of uh blank stairs while we were playing but we had a laugh but it's just fun playing up and down the country we got we just met some really cool people like skirt box we played with them a few times like lovely guys like ridiculously talented like metal musicians they're jet black now aren't they they were they i don't think they're doing it anymore are but they? yeah they're just so ludicrously talented for the for the punk air quote scene you know it's, just, it's no wonder they went more metal and it's like they, they were like that whole no use kind of end of the, like really american skate rock with those that metal tinge but yeah they they, they outgrew it quite quickly because they started doing that joke metal band which became the metal band <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah like up and down the country like playing up north was always always great always great laugh like the, the few times we got to stop in in first and around newcastle and stuff like everyone was just super welcoming they opened their doors and let you crash on their floor and yeah just had had some had some good times um so early on you touched upon obviously you know you released your second album then you kind of called it quits what was uh the reason behind that uh, was there anything which just no prompted uh, the end of the foamers? Um, I think from what I remember, I think we were a little bit burnt out. As uh, we won't get in a, the reaction that we hoped when we were playing. Like we were super proud of, of the second album, uh, but we it just got to the point. I think it was a bit burnout as well. Like uh, Carlos was getting itchy feet. He ended up moving to Spain not long after Tom didn't want to do it anymore, the bass player. He was kind of like the linchpin who, who, who held everything together and made sure we, we got around with, <laughs> without dying. Uh, <laughs> and he, he decided to quit and we, we carried him with a, for a bit longer with uh, like a new bass player and new drum. But it just, it just, I think it had run its course at that point. I was just, I'd finished uni. I was in like my second, like the, the first decent job I had, you know, stuff after that. And I, I, I'd, I'd love to have kept it going, but it just seemed like, the time to to let it go like the, the household name tours were getting a bit quieter and they were, we were I don't know I just don't, don't know whether we were just too polite or we were too rubbish we just we were meant to be in rotating headlines we just kept getting put on first it got to that point you know it's just like you know what <laughs> I just don't want to had do it, it anymore the, um, nothing nothing changed a bit do you think yeah I think probably it's like sort of that point everything was starting to move was pushing back heavier wasn't it, it was like you started getting all the, the more heavier emo-y metalcore the new wave of american heavy metal like new metal all that stuff was kind of coming out i think the skate punk thing was naturally dying down anyway or at least it felt like yeah. that to me um i mean i see i definitely remember my music my listening tastes shifting like around that sort of mid-2000s point as well like 
and just gradually drifting over to getting back to like, you know Lamb of God and <laughs> and Mastodon and things like that were coming in. So. <laughs> And didn't uh, John Hannon uh, record that one or engineer that one? John Hannon did, yeah. He, yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah, we did three, three weeks down with him in total, I think. We did one week, uh, we ended up going back and then starting again. It didn't come out as, as we planned. From what I can remember, like, really nice guy. Uh, had a lot of good, like, really nice, like, stories about, is it Low, his band? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, I think Carlos kept in contact with him. As he, like I say, as he does with everyone, so or at least kept kept tabs on him. Um, so he he was actually Carl was actually the one that told us that uh, that John had passed. So yeah, sad news. He's really not much older than me, which yeah, puts stuff into perspective. It does, yeah. Forty seven, I think, which is um, very sad. And obviously, the impact he had on our on our scene. I mean, he obviously touched a lot of different different sort of scenes, but I think the impact he had on that particular moment in our little punk rock history was uh, was pretty significant wasn't it i mean he did Absolutely. so many of those bands well i, I yeah. remember hearing the uh the link 80 cap down split that i'm pretty sure that he did was it and then uh we did pound for the sound as well and just we were so excited to go in and, and, and record with him because he was just like the man to go and record with he was like the the uk's uh ryan green uh i think five knuckle had been in just before us and they kept warning us and they were like Make sure he turns the bass up. Make sure he turns the bass up. Make sure he turns the bass up. And I think for, I think John was a bass player himself, so it was really odd that he kept turning it down. So I've, I've, bass is quite mixed, quite low and now mix as well. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's just his, maybe he had super good monitors compared to the uh, you know, cheap tinny headphones that I'm using. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it all sounded sounded pretty good. I'm interested in that kind of like dynamic between you and Carlos. Then, so obviously you're both you're, your cousins and similar-ish age and you're both into music and he's rocking out Santana solos and you're listening to Dolly Parton <laughs> Maiden. And, um, and then you sort of weirdly both decide at the same sort of time to start up. Did you both decide and agree that it was going to be a sort of ska punk band? Was there just no question about it? Um, uh, or was there some discussion around what it was going to come out like? Well, no, it was, I, used to, I used to work in a pub called the, the Rising Sun in Epsom. So one of our regulars Chris, so our original drummer Chris was, was one of the regulars. He was in the art college over the road. I think I remember the first time meeting him, and he had like hair down to his ass and a napalm death T-shirt. And I was like, he was like, all right, Chris, <laughs> <laughs> how you doing? And we got chatting about music, and like Chris was a, a real like sort of hoarder magpie from me. He'd just buy everything. Like he'd always have like ten new CDs in his hand and be like, listen to that, listen to that, listen to that, listen to that, listen to that. So that's why we've got like most of our punk knowledge that that wasn't the uh you know the, the mtv friendly stuff was always with chris he was like yeah, listen to citizen fish there's subhumans there's you know he'd just be like throwing stuff out left, left right and center um but they carlos and chris actually started the band so i, I mentioned this earlier so they were just like oh we, we're gonna do a punk band i don't i don't think they had a plan and they just asked me to play well, I think I probably said oh, I'll play bass because I had the, the drums and bass covered. And then a, a, another friend of ours, uh, she was like, oh, "I play bass. I'll play bass." And I was like, "I'll play guitar then." And then nobody wanted to sing, so I was like, "I'll give it a go. <laughs> Why not?" And we just ended up playing like covers of. Uh, I think we covered "Dime Store Hoods" by Link Eighty. Was one of our one of our first songs, um, and. 
yeah, we just started just doing silly stuff. Like, I, I was really getting into snuff, so I was like, we need to do adverts. Let's, let's do the Coco Pop song. Why not? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, never played it live, but just something, something dumb to play in rehearsal, right? Um, and at that time, I was at uni, and we, I was down in um, all, uh, Farnham. But there was like a, a older shot Civic Hall you put on punk shows. Uh, and yeah, we ended up playing there with, with Bouncing Souls and like like quite a few other like cool bands. And the kids, it was one of those venues where you could go and it doesn't matter what band you were, no matter what you were playing, everyone went ballistic. And it's like, there's a few of them around the country. There was one in Worcester and I can't remember the name of it. And it was the same. You turn up, the kids would be sat on the floor, they'd be minding their own business, having a chat. But the instant the band started, they'd be like somersaulting off the PAs and stuff. I remember having to play with my guitar vertically behind the mic stand so they didn't like kick it as they were like flipping off the thing. And it was like, and it wasn't because we were like amazing. It was just because the kids like absolutely loved it. <laughs> but I bet you felt like rock stars then, didn't you? Like, it was it was pretty difficult to play guitar vertically. I'm, I'm struggling enough playing it like regularly. <laughs> it was weird because where um where I started going to gigs in Watford. Uh, it was a sort of similar thing, like, I mean, I, I said this to um, Dave House, who we were chatting to, who also used to go down the West End Centre and stuff, but um, in Watford, yeah, you'd have, like, Raging Speedhorn one night, and then, like, Zen Baseball Bat, and the same kids would be out doing the same sort of, and, and you'd be like, this is crazy, but um, it was just something, to, and I, I took it for granted, I just figured, well, every every gig in the country must be like this, right? Everyone must just be kicking off, and it's always going to be like this, it's great, forever. And then you kind of, yeah, you kind of get out and see other scenes and you realise actually you're kind of quite lucky. Um, yeah. Years later, weirdly, I had, we were invited to play Dorking and I think we kept like, uh, either we kind of kept turning it down, uh, for, not not because we were, you know, too proud to play shows, but there was sort of, we just couldn't get it rock, like working. And we eventually sort of were able to play. We went down to Dorking, which is, you know, not a million miles away from us. And we sort of thought, what the hell's going to be in Dorking? But there we go. And because there was nothing to do in Dorking, like a hundred kids came out and suddenly just went crazy. And it was like the first time that happened. And I was like, there's nothing better than a dead end town with bored kids in it. Because they just need something to do. And um, I think we were just, we, we were kind of lucky. Maybe our era was kind of blessed by the fact that it was just on the cusp of like pre-internet and no one could listen to us first. So they just turned <laughs> up. And... Yeah, I, I hear you with that one. <laughs> And then, it, and then it all changed, didn't it? Then it was like, oh God, I'm not, I'm not there much them. And yeah, it was, it was a kind of a glorious time maybe um, yeah. for some people perhaps. I think, uh, yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think Folkestone we played a few times and it was always a, like a ridiculously good show. We played with Lightyear down there first time and it was, from what I can remember on the floor in a restaurant, and they just cleared the tables out of the way and it was on, right on the seafront and we almost drove our van into the sea because we just we were like oh it must be down this ramp it's like nope that's the sea, that's the sea. <laughs> like, like reverse and uh it was one of those places that yeah just everyone went ballistic but and it was such a great place to be because it's yeah it didn't matter what what band you were in or what level you were at you were just treated the same and everyone just just really loved it and it's, yeah it's a great feeling isn't it it's a great feeling. So Dave talks about when you broke up and then, and then what was it about 10 years later, you said it wasn't that long, was it? A little while later anyway, you sort of weirdly just kind of ended up getting a couple of shows back together. I remember the Flying Cox just had you listed, listed as playing one day and it didn't seem to be a massive hoo-ha, it was just the phone as a back. Well, um, it's, uh, so Carlos moved back from Spain 
about four, four, five years ago now. But in between that, he'd come back periodically and just he'd ask on the off chance, do you just want to play a show? So, yeah, we did that a couple of times. And then when he moved back, we just kind of like fell back into it because Tim used to live over in Chelmsford, but he now lives uh, down this neck of the woods. So it was just a bit easier for us to to just give it a go. And it was, yeah, really nice to see the the response for something we thought that people didn't really care about. And just like, it turns out they were. And it, it was really, yeah, it's just always been a good, good laugh. And it's like, I, I always have a lot of fun playing and I try my hardest to, uh, to to put on the best show that I can or the silliest show that I can, as as you'll know with uh, the wig behind me from Spandex Love. It's the, <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to to laugh at myself and not take stuff too seriously. But I just yeah, I, I I just really enjoy playing. So for me, it was really lovely for the band to just sort of start drifting back together and then yeah, writing writing those new bits and getting getting excited about it again because. Yeah, I haven't like since since the phone was split. I haven't really played with any other bands apart from Spanish Love, which is like covers. So it's it was just really nice to like it's like putting on a pair of old slippers. Yeah, <laughs> it's like we we were we were we were so rubbish when we first got back together in the studio as well. It's like what was that? What, what chord was that? I was like it's like three chord punk. I was like what? I can't remember it. Like literally, <laughs> yeah, putting your old CDs and listening back to it quite a few times. Like yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I had to do. It's like, I'm sure we played a minor there. It's like, minor? <laughs> What's a minor? Called? <laughs> so obviously you're back together now. Um, you started recording stuff. Uh, no, the, the, the venues are starting to open up slowly. Um, have you got anything in the pipeline for this year? Nothing as of yet. Like it's just now that stuff sort of started reopening, I'd like to get get the ball rolling again especially get back in the studio but I think I'd need quite a few rehearsals because when we were recording we'd been playing quite a lot and we'd been rehearsing quite a lot so my voice was a lot stronger than it is now because I obviously haven't done any singing apart from the shower or, <laughs> or in, the, in, in the office work since you know for a, a year and a half now so it's just it'll take a lot of time to, to build that back up which is the, the bit that I'm not looking forward to. Right, carry on honest answer Go in on. the shower do you sing your own songs? Do I? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it <in> alone. <laughs> what? Um... I, I'm usually I usually think of a new song while in the shower, and then by the time I'm out of the shower, and I'll keep humming it in my head, I get to a guitar, I've forgotten it. That's yeah. that's that's the thing that happens ninety percent of the time in the shower. It's like oh, I wonder how, great... how many <laughs> of the world's greatest songs have been forgotten from the shower to the to the bedroom and the guitar. I mean, honestly. At least ninety nine percent. It's got it's got like, to be all the greatest songs <laughs> just lost in lost down that plug hole. So these um, master singer songwriters have got a guitar in the shower for a reason. Like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> mate. There's a big a big line to be made here in um in waterproof guitars. I'm telling shower, you, shower pianos. <laughs> and um, what you've been listening to? Obviously, the influences have been coming thick and fast from the, from an early age. What um what what's your sort of stuff at the moment are you listening to much much punk rock or you gone gone sort of wild and weird Fun, funnily enough i've got i've gone back so i've been adding a load of uh like cap down captain everything adequate seven five knuckle to my playlist again um i've got i've, I've just uh i just usually hit random uh and just like try and listen to my entire 
collection, which is quite fun. But I was you know, playing Grand Theft Auto and just like listening to the radio station and like, oh yeah, cool. Find that on the find that on Spotify. Add that. Go back. You know, get the albums and just. Like, it's been like I say, it's because I I sort of tend to like have got laser focus and then start looking over the parapets and backwards after a, a, a short time of just being like, you just want to listen to this, just want to listen to this one album, I just want to listen to this one band. Um, but yeah, like Capdown have been coming back in rotation quite heavily and I'm just loving every second of it. And I was chatting to one of the guys I'm working with who's from Nottingham but lives in Texas and I was talking to him about Capdown he was like, oh, I love Capdown, I was listening to them back in the day. It's like, put, put it back on your playlist and he instantly put Scar Wars on his way. <laughs> it was putting a good show as well live um, oh, they, were, they were incredible yeah it was they, they were one of the first bands we we met when we did our, like our first uh, one of our first proper shows at uh, Joseph's Well in Leeds and it was like an all dayer and we were terrified because we only played like lo- local shows with like two bands or whatever and we parked right next to their van we didn't know who they were and just got chatting to them straight away like jake was really ill so i went and got him some paracetamol and then like <laughs> started talking to boob and keith and tim it's just like yeah it was just just got to know them really well weirdly for, you know by accident <laughs> how much did their sort of success pave the way for a band like you to you know who, who had a sort of similar not identical of course but sort of similar similar sound you know capdown sort of really did did change things a lot. Um, did you feel that being in a sort of ska punk band? I think Capdown just did, yeah, so much for the for the scene because especially like the UK scene, they were just so well loved and they were so well received like, everywhere they went. And it's it was like you know every time you got to play with them, it was just an absolute joy because you know you'd have this you know they'd bring in this big crowd and they'd put on this amazing show and they'd always include every band that they played with they were always like you know really nice inclusive people they always like they'd always thank everyone they'd always let you walk across the back of the stage and like do like stupid shit and, it's, and they, they were just well in they were really into the, the community and it's just it was i don't know how much they did for us personally because uh, i feel like our, our lack of talent undid a lot of everything that we did for us but yeah definitely from the scene they, they were just just monumental basically you know and they... I remember seeing them once with um against all authority back at the underworld many years ago and packed venue and against all authority were headlining and i think the promoter must have messed up there because after capdown had finished half the crowd went and left like, against all authority just planned to a half empty room which was for me it was scandalous because i was actually there for yeah. against all authority myself but uh, yes, yeah, so obviously, you know, you know, they just brought a crowd everywhere. They went capped down. They were prolific as well. They, just, they played so much. They played so yeah. much. And yeah, I think that, that high energy really they made it sound special when they, when they came to see them. And I don't want to get into like, my personal... Like, I've spoken about this before with John, but I'm not massively into Cap Down like, on CD, personally. I think their songs are a bit too long. I have a short attention span. I like two-minute songs, not like four-minute <laughs> songs. Um, but I can, I can understand and appreciate you know, what they've done for the UK scene and how they kind of lifted it in that sort of in that era. Their, their mark was was definitely, like, felt everywhere. And a lot of, that, you know, they influenced a lot of the bands. I think with that sort of more UK-ish sound, it wasn't 
they didn't sound like the American moments. The like, Capdown sounded like Capdown, and then they had these like real sort of English moments as well. Um, I go uh, like the the soap demo. Like Carlos and I saw them supporting Link Eighty in London. There was about twenty people there, and we gave them a CD. Oh, that was it. Jesus, that was that was the first time we met Captain. We gave them a CD. It was a burnt CD-ROM of our first demo. I think it had a picture of Goku from Dragon Ball on the front because that was the first thing I could find. <laughs> and yeah, we got changed in there. And then Carlos found out that they changed their name to Captain. So yeah, it was yeah, that was that was nuts. Wow, that's a that was a little flashback. <laughs> it's, it's like um, therapy, isn't it? Yeah. But I just remember hearing that time for change demo it just blew my mind. Like, yeah, that was brilliant. That was really good, actually. It was so different, wasn't it? It was, um, I think, for so I, I don't know, I must have been 15, 16 or something. And um, and it was like, it wasn't sort of four chords, like four, you know, sort of four beat stuff. And it wasn't sort of three chords, but it wasn't too dissimilar to what I've been listening to. But it was just, yeah. and it was English, but it was just different. It was just crazy. Um, and it, and, I thought it was just absolutely brilliant. And then you saw them live. I, I heard the EP before I saw them live. And then the live show was obviously very different. And then that first album, I think they really kind of honed their sound a bit more. Because I think Time for Change is, you know, a bit a bit kind of messy in their terms of songwriting as much as I loved it. By the time that first album came out, I think they were yeah. just a, an absolute unit, weren't they? They were just a solid, polished, sort of finished article. And it was, they were unstoppable. I mean, absolutely unstoppable. I, mean, I think we, I mean, I certainly went to every show I could and just very quickly within that sort of probably first year or so of the album, they were just, you know, gaining like a snowboard, gaining bigger, bigger crowds, yeah. playing everywhere with everyone and doing it organically. Like there was no, nothing really behind them. I mean, obviously House of Name and them kind of bought each other up at the same time, didn't they? But just did it purely organically. I'm not sure there's been a band quite like them since really. Well, I think that, that energy and that dedication and that work ethic that they that you know they like say so they they put in so much to the scene to allow uh, you know to build up household names profile so that other bands who had the household name stamp became interesting to people who, you know when cap down and playing it's like oh well they're on the same label it's like it's got that, like, that epitaph effect you know it's just like oh that's good they're on epitaph they must be like, yeah <laughs> exactly. i remember like household names when they first come out and they were like more hardcore weren't they back in the day yeah. A proper like knuckle dust and the proper beat down. <laughs> <laughs> so they changed quite a lot. But yeah, Lil and Catherine were lovely. They were they were always really lovely to us, you know, pre household name days and, and post. So uh, we owe them like a, a huge debt. They're just really lovely people and they did us a huge favour and they took a massive risk taking us on and yeah, it was much appreciated. We're gonna try and have them on one day, hopefully. Yeah, that'd be nice. yeah, we'll get them we'll at some point, definitely. Um, so, Karen, we've chatted about. I think you've you've name dropped dozens of dozens of bands. We always ask if you had to choose one, a favourite of all time. What's it going to be? It's got to be Maiden. <laughs> it's got to be Maiden. I think we've had two. <laughs> we had two, uh, two Maiden. Yeah. Yeah. There is two main Voodoo Gross Girls. George from Voodoo yeah, Gross Girls. I, I, yeah, I listened to that the other day. I was just I saw the description. I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna sound just like I'm copying them. It's like it's, 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 it's Maiden. It's it's uh, a lot of my vocal chops are uh, very <laughs> like because I've got quite a high voice as well, so they're very Dickinson at times. 
um and you know i when i was starting as a kid like learning to play drums i would just learn maiden songs on rope you know i could uh, 13 I was playing the intro to where Eagles there self-taught just out of pure like attrition just like just hit the drums and you can get it you know um no no lessons or anything but yeah so it, it still carries over in my drumming now like I was uh drumming for Carlos on the little side project thing that he was doing and I do I do lots of very Nico McBrain style fills and roles it's like it's 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 in it's in my music like genes it's, it's right there <laughs> Great. Well, that was uh, that was a great chat. Brilliant to hear from Karen. Brilliant to hear that the passion and the energy and the excitement is still there for music for the Foamers after all these years. And um, I really am looking forward to hearing what they come out with. Oh yeah, definitely looking forward to the new stuff. Um, it's been a while, and you know, I really can't wait. And such a talented guy, you know, he obviously does his music, and you know, he does like graphic art, and uh, yeah, it's, it's fantastic to see like him. He's, he's still involved and um, yeah, it's looking forward to life and I'm really looking forward to hearing what's next. That's right, Dave. Um, and talking about talented people, there's a couple of people that we have to thank who are a big part of this podcast. Um, and that is the, uh, the genius that is Paul Russell, um, who wrote uh, and performed the little song that you hear at the beginning, which is, I, I think, anyway, the best 30 seconds of the podcast. Um, it's all downhill from there. And Definitely. then wherever you listen to this, you might have even seen the little logo that's floating around, which is uh, designed brilliantly by our good friend, Ryan Davis. Ryan and Paul, we both were in bands with, and they very kindly donated their time, skills, expertise to um, to, to that. And uh, I think we're forever grateful, really, aren't we, Dave? I think they actually are, like the unofficial members of the podcast, you know, they're, 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 they're unsung heroes who, you know, get all the credit or maybe they don't want to <laughs> do they even want to actually be identified i don't know um but they're, yeah they're the ones with all the talent aren't they let's be honest they are pretty much and, and it's great to know that we have such skillful and talented people around us who can actually help support this uh, podcast so paul ryan thank you so much we love you hell yeah right um dave do you think Yep. So if you want to get in touch, please email us at prapodcast at gmail.com. You can go to our Twitter at prapodcast, or you can go to our Instagram at punk rock academy podcast. Oh, How's that? Thank you, John. I appreciate that. Um, so You're getting better with that each time. Just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Rolls off the tongue. Uh, so anyway, until next time, have a good one. Goodbye. My name is Karen, I'm from the Fomers and you've been listening to the Punk Rock Academy.